Welcome, welcome to University Seventh-day Adventist Church. Uh, before we begin our message this morning, there is one group of people that I really want to welcome, uh, and we should welcome in a special way every Sabbath. I want to welcome all those who are from the age of 10 and below. If you are 10 and below, upstairs and downstairs, would you raise their little hands up? If you have a, a someone under 10 years of age, would you raise up your hand in University Church? Raise your hand really high. Raise your hand really high if you're under 10. Let's give them a clap and say thank you for coming to church. We're a church that loves and welcomes children, aren't we? And we also want to give another thanks by the waving of hand to the mothers and aunts and grandmothers who brought them. We want to thank you as well and all the Sabbath school teachers who do a great job with our programs for the children here. This is their church and it is our church. Today we're going to be talking about crunch time words. Crunch time words. When I began working in the church, it was in a volunteer position when I was 21 and 22 years of age. We read a list of volunteers who are going to be starting next Sabbath. I was, before I was a pastor, one of those people. Do you want to know what my first church position ever was? What do you think it was? Look at me, you know, up here as a pastor. What do you think my very first church position was? Was it an elder? Was it a deacon? Was it AV? What was it, Sabbath school teacher? What was my first official church position? Do you know what it was? I was the little kid softball, kick, kickball children's captain. From ages three to five, I was the coach for a church's kickball team. And I was so proud to serve in that capacity as the kickball coach for three to five in our church. And I remember when they brought me that group of three and five-year-olds, they didn't even know how to kick. They didn't even know how to run. But by the end of the year, we were on the championship game. Amen? Amen. Do your job to the best of your ability, officers. And we got to the last play. And this was the game-deciding play. There was already two outs and three Outs means that's it. The next team comes and kicks, and they were up. And so that was a game-deciding play. And who was up on my team but my worst kicker <gasps> for the championship game? It was crunch time. It was what? Crunch time. And something rose up above me. Something rose up from within me. And what rose up and came out were the most inspiring words that I needed to share in that moment. I looked at that little three-year-old in the eyes, and I told him, you were made for this moment. It doesn't matter what happened in the last five plays in this game. I know that this time, you are going to do it. You should have seen his eyes just light up. And as they threw that ball, that little boy, with all his courage, and all his strength swung that leg, and I don't know how he did it, because he had not hit the ball all game. This time he connected, and that ball went flying high over most of the kids. Now, it's not over, because you still need to run around the bases. And so here I was, running by his side, screaming, go, go, go. 
until he slid into home base. And the crowd goes, the crowd goes wild because of the words that were spoken in crunch time made a difference. When life is squeezing you, when pressure is mounting on top of you, the question is, what comes out of you? What words come out of you when the pressure's intense and life is bearing down on you on those difficult moments? I have found that throughout history, some of the most famous words that we know by memory have been said by men in their most difficult and trying times. Winston Churchill, the Prime Minister of the United Kingdom, gave a speech after a great military defeat by his army. France was falling out of the war, and there was a possible invasion by the Nazis during World War II. And when the pressure mounted, what crunch time words came out of Winston Churchill's mouth? Maybe you recognize this speech. His words were in his gruff, low voice that I cannot imitate. We have before us an ordeal of the most grievous kind. We have before us many, many long months of struggle and of suffering. You ask, what is our policy? And I will say, it is to wage war by sea, by land and air, with all our mights and with all the strength that God can give us to wage war against a monstrous tyranny never surpassed in darkness, lamentable catalog of human crime. This is our policy. You ask, what is our aim? And here is a line that many people know I could answer in one word. It is victory, victory at all costs, victory in spite of all terror, victory however long and hard the road may be. You know, the words of Winston Churchill gave strength to a whole nation because he had the right crunch time words. Victory, victory at all costs. Another great leader in our time in the country's history is Abraham Lincoln. And do you remember Abraham Lincoln? He was president during a terrible civil war where 620,000 soldiers died. One day in the middle of the war, he was asked to dedicate and speak at a dedication of a cemetery of Gettysburg where 50,000 soldiers had died. And you could imagine, he was sad, he was burdened by the death, by the war. History tells us that he also had smallpox during the speech. And so this man was crushed. This man who had the pressure of the world upon him. And when he stood up to speak, what came out of his mouth when life was squeezing him? Well, you might remember how it starts. Four score and seven years ago, our fathers brought forth on this continent a new nation conceived in liberty and dedicated to the proposition that all men are created equal. Now we are engaged in a great civil war testing whether that nation or any nation so conceived and so dedicated can long endure and we are met on a great battlefield of that war. We here highly resolve that these dead shall not have died in vain, that this nation under God shall have a new birth of freedom and that the government of the people by the people, for the people, shall not perish from the earth. Wow, those words sustained the nation through that war and the reconstruction 
afterwards. That all men are created equal. So it is when we are having real pressure, real adversity, that the most famous words come out of our mouth. And I have come to believe that during the times of biggest stress and pressure, that the words reveal what we really believe and who we really are. Did you get that? At the moments of greatest pressure, our words reveal what we believe and who we really are. We look at our Lord and Savior Jesus Christ, and on that fateful Friday, He stretched out, hanging on the cross. Only the nails were holding Him up. Only the nails on His hands and feet were holding Him up. He had the piercing crown on His head. His disciples were kind of hidden. His mother was weeping. Men were mocking Him. The spear went through His side. And in that moment of crunch time, what were the words that came out of his mouth that revealed what he believed and who he was? Do you remember in Luke chapter 23 and verse 34? Then Jesus said, Father, forgive them, for they do not know what they do. Wow, what a greater revelation of who Jesus is and what he believes during his crunch time. And what were the words that he declared at the end of his Life, it is finished, it is finished, and it is finished. In his most challenging moments, his words revealed what he believed and who he really was. And so the question I have for you this morning, church, is when life is squeezing you, what comes out of you? What comes out of your mouth? Because here in Daniel chapter 3, we have a pretty amazing story that teaches us how to respond in times of great pressure, great stress, and great problems. Daniel chapter 3 teaches us how to respond with crunch time words. It's a story of three Hebrews called Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego. That's how we know this is really a powerful story because otherwise, who would memorize such weird names? Like, really? Who memorizes those weird names anyway? And the reason they're engraved in their mind is because this is an amazing story. This is a story that, you know, they should have made into a movie a long time ago because it has the ups and downs and characters and weird names of people. I mean, it's a wonderful story in its conclusion. Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego were three Hebrew boys who lived in the city of Jerusalem. And while they were living there, the great superpower of the day, Babylon, invaded their country, burned down their fields, destroyed their towns, finally broke through the great walls of Jerusalem and destroyed the temple. Their family and friends were killed, and the ones who survived were taken as slaves with them to Babylon. Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego were taken to the city of Babylon. And I want to ask you today, friends, what city in the world is the most difficult one to be a faithful Christian in. What city in the world is, would you imagine is the most difficult one to be a faithful Seventh-day Adventist? What would you say? San Someone says San Francisco. Somewhere in North Korea. Somewhere in where? North Korea. North Korea. Okay. GR? New York. New York. Okay. What about Las Vegas? What about Miami? 
What about Hollywood? What about Amsterdam? There's some places where there's a lot of temptations. There's some places where there's a lot of vices. There's a places where there, these cities are considered in many of our time godless cities. But let me tell you, none of these cities compared to Babylon. I mean, Babylon was, was so bad, was so terrible, that in the book of Revelation, when Jesus is trying to describe the great Antichrist power, and is trying to think of a name for this terrible power that would come in the last days and bring about the end of the world because of what it does with the nations of the world, it's thinking, what can I name the Antichrist that people will know how terrible it was? And what was the name that was given to that church? Revelation chapter 17, verse 5 tells us, and on her forehead a name was written, Mystery, what's the name? Babylon, the great mother of harlots and of the abomination of the earth. Friends, in Babylon, every sin was available and every vice was accessible. And some of you are complaining today because some of you are complaining to God about your lack of obedience and faithfulness because of your surroundings and circumstances. And I say we got no excuse because Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego were in the worst place at the worst time. They were in Babylon, which is like Las Vegas times 10, Miami, New York times 20. They were in the worst places, and they were still giving us a faithful example. Some of us complain to God and say that we would do right, that we would obey if only our circumstances would change. God, if you would bring me a godly husband or a godly wife, then I wouldn't have to sleep around, you see. Some of you are complaining, saying, God, if you, if you gave me a better job with a higher pay raise, then I wouldn't have to te- cheat you out of the tithe and offerings. You see, it's your fault, God, because my circumstances are too difficult. But Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego did not use that excuse. They were in the worst of the worst, Babylon. But their circumstances did not change them. Because circumstances don't change you, they reveal you. Circumstances don't what? They reveal you. And these three Hebrew boys, these three Hebrew boys were revealed to be faithful. So how do you have that faith? How do you have that faith of these three Hebrew faithfuls? See, faith doesn't always mean that God changes your situations. Sometimes it means he changes you. And these boys showed up to Babylon, and the Bible tells us that they found favor in the sight of the king. They found what? Favor. And they rose up the ranks to be counselors. And everything was going good and great until one day they were invited to a large gathering. I want to ask you and invite you to open up your Bibles to Daniel chapter 3 in verse 1 as we read where the stress began, where the crunch time began in earnest for Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego. Daniel chapter 3, verse 1, and we're going to read from verse 1 to verse 7. Is it okay if I read the Bible in church? Is that okay if we read some Bible? Amen? Let's read it. Daniel chapter 3, verse 1. King Nebuchadnezzar made an image of gold. I'm reading from the New Living Translation. You can follow along in the New King James 
up here as well. King Nebuchadnezzar made an image of gold 60 cubits high and 6 cubits wide. And he set it up on the plain of Dura in the, provident, in the province of Babylon. He then summoned the satraps, the prefects, the governors, the advisors, the treasurers, the judges, the magistrates, and all the other provincial officials to come to the dedication of the image he had set up. So the satraps, the prefects, governors, advisors, treasurers, judges, magistrates, and all other provincial officials assembled for the dedication of the image that King Nebuchadnezzar had set up. And they stood before it. Now, I think that they were invited without really telling them the purpose for what they were invited. <laughs> I mean, have you ever been invited to um, one of those, uh, like, uh, Amway or Pyramid parties? Have you ever been invited to those? I remember my cousin was into this pyramid scheme thing, and one day he just cornered me. He's like, you know, we haven't been hanging out very much lately, and I really want to hang out with you. I'm having a little gathering at my house, you know, Saturday night. Why don't you come over? And I was just, I was so touched. I'm like, wow, my cousin loves me. I can't believe it. he misses me. And so I show up, you know, Saturday nights, you know, hang out with my cousin. I walk in the door, and there's like 15 other people I've never seen in my life. I'm like, okay. And I go say hi to my cousin, and about two minutes in, he starts making a speech. Well, I want to welcome you all here. You're some of my closest friends and relatives. Then he pulls out whatever he was selling. Today, I want to tell you something that's changed my life it's going to make me rich. It's going to make you rich, too. I felt so deceived. I said, I thought you loved me. You're trying to sell me something. I think this king called all his officials. They thought that they were going to have a party thrown for them. They thought that this was going to be a recognition of who they were and what they'd done. Maybe taxes had gone up that year, and this was going to be their bonus. Who knows what? So they all came. There's musicians of all sorts. And everything's going good. Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego are there too because I'm sure they didn't know the purpose of this party and this reunion and this gathering. But it soon becomes clear in verse 4. Then the herald loudly proclaimed, nations and peoples of every language, this is what you are commanded to do. As soon as you hear the sound of the horn, the flute, the zither, the lyre, the harp, the pipe, and all kinds of music, you must, that's not optional, you must fall down and worship the image of gold that King Nebuchadnezzar had set up. Whoever does not fall down and worship will immediately be thrown into what? In a burning, fiery furnace. Wow. You think you're under stress? You think you're under pressure? You think that you're in crunch time? You've never been in crunch time like this. I mean, what are we talking about here? This is crazy. They're going to throw people into a burning, fiery furnace. Have you ever been to a pizza spot? I mean, that's the closest I've been to a fiery furnace. You know, you order your pizza, and you, they put it into that furnace, and you just watch it, you know, get, get all ready and cooked. And, and when you bite it, it's like, oh, it's hot, you know, careful. Imagine if you got thrown in there instead of a pizza. That's what we're talking about, the stress that these three Hebrews were going through. This is serious business. And everyone fell down and worshipped. Everyone fell down and worshipped, the Bible tells us, except Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego. The three Hebrew boys are thrust into the most challenging moment of their life. 
And how do they respond during crunch time? What words come out of them when life is squeezing them? And this is the climax and the beauty of this story. I mean, this is so exciting. Just reading these verses just fill me with faith. Because when they were squeezed, words of faith came out of their mouth in verse chapter 15 to 18. It tells us, now, if you are ready at the time you hear the sound of the horn, the flute, the harp, the lyre, the psaltery, and symphony with all kinds of music, and you fall down and worship the image which I have made good, but if you do not worship, you shall be cast immediately into the midst of a burning, fiery furnace. And who is the God who will deliver you from my hands? And squeeze, and out come the words. Verse 16. Verse 16. Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego answered and said to the king, O Nebuchadnezzar, we have no need to answer you in this matter. If that is the case, our God whom we serve, is able to deliver us from the burning, fiery furnace. Amen? And he will deliver us from your hands, O king. Let's stop there for, for a moment, and let's just, let's, just, let's just really look at those verses, because I think these verses are some of the most experiential statements of faith that we have in the Bible. Because Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego begin by saying first and foremost, let me tell you something, King. God can save us. Do you believe God can save still? Amen. You know, maybe someone walked into church today who's maybe doubting if God can still save. And today, from thousands of years ago, Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego are letting you know, like they let the king know, God can save. I've seen him save people. I've seen him save murderers. I've seen him save prostitutes. I've seen them save people who are struggling with vices. I've seen them break habits. God can save. And he could continue saving you if you've already been saved. So if you've been doubting, because there's something broken in your life. If you've been doubting because you don't have the moral strength to obey and you feel like giving up this thing called Christianity and giving up on this person called God, I want to remind you again today and always, God can save. He is big. The Bible tells us that our God in Isaiah chapter 59, verse 1, it says, Behold, the Lord's hand is not shortened, that it cannot save, nor his ear heavy, that it cannot hear. Psalms chapter 33, verse 6 says, By the word of the Lord, the heavens were made, and all the hosts of them by the breath of his mouth. You get that? When you look up in the sky at night, and you see the moon, and you see the stars, and you see the galaxies out there. Who did that? Who made that? Who spoke that into existence? Your God. And the God who did that can save you from whatever sin, habits, and backsliding you're struggling in. He can't save, because he's the most awesome and powerful person in the universe. 
But you know what else the Bible tells us about this personal God? In Matthew chapter 10, verse 30. But the very hairs of our head are all numbered. Because Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego said, we are God, not a God, or the God, or God. It says, our God, whom we serve, is able to deliver us. God can save, but only if he is your God. And he is willing to even count the hair on your head. Ladies, he knows how much hair you have on your head because he is your God. I mean, who has time for that? Not even your husband counting your hair, okay? <laughs> Ladies, God can save, and he's your God. Men, he knows all the hairs that you have lost from your head. <laughs> he is counting the hair that's falling, and, and he knows the numbers, they're diminishing, but he still loves you. And our wives still love us too, right, wives? Amen. Amen. Because he's your God, and he knows the smallest details about you. And so Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego, when life was squeezing them, the words that came out of their mouth was, Our God, it's their God, whom we serve is able to deliver us from the burning, fiery furnace. And then the next thing they say is, He will deliver us. He will rescue us from your power. You know, it's one thing to know that he can. It's another thing to declare that he will. It's a one thing to know that he can. It's another thing to declare that he, he will. And sometimes as Christians, we keep our faith internalized when we need to be proclaiming what God can and will do. Sometimes people tell us, oh, I have so-and-so is sick. Would you pray for them? You're like, yeah, when, when I'm alone and quiet, I'm going to pray that, that, you know, they'll be healed. We need to go to those people, lay hands on them, and believe that we have a God that can heal, that can deliver people from habits and temptations. We need to believe and proclaim. We need to say, he will, he will. Because when we say he will, what we're proclaiming is that he's willing. He's what? willing. We don't, don't only have a God that can save us, we have a God who is willing to save us. What an amazing God we serve, right? What an awesome God he is. And the Bible tells us in Hebrews chapter 11, verse 1, faith shows the reality of what we hope for. It is the evidence of things we cannot see. The reality of what we hope for. What are you hoping for? Do you really believe that it will come true? with faith in Jesus? What are you hoping for this morning? We serve a God that is not only able, but willing. But listen, the statement of faith doesn't end there. It ends with the most powerful one, the one that we're going to be focusing on to end our time together. Daniel chapter 3, verse 18. Are you there? Are you there? Are you there in front of the furnace? Are you, are you feeling the heat from the furnace? Do you feel the soldiers grabbing your arms? Do you feel them tying your hands and, and bounding your feet together? Can you see the scowl of the king? Can you see them putting more coal or gasoline or whatever they put, air, to heat up that furnace seven times more hotter? Life is squeezing you. Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego, what are you going to say? And their words, the words are powerful. 
The words that come out of their mouth in verse 18 is this. But even if he doesn't, whew, even if he doesn't, we want to make it clear to you, your majesty, that we will never serve your gods or worship the gold statue that you have set up. Life is squeezing them. And what comes out of them? What are their crunch time words? Even if he doesn't, we will never serve your God. An even if faith. I wish we had more of even if faith in our church. What is a real test of faith? As one pastor put it, when God doesn't behave, how do you behave? That's a real question, the real test of faith. When God doesn't do what you want him to do, what do you do? So many people ask today, why do bad stuff happen to good people? But today, this memory verse is, is switching the question on us, and it's asking the question, what happens when good people happen to bad things? What happens when faithful people happen to bad situations? Where is the even if faith? Even if I get that job. But if not, I will still praise you in my house. Even if the doctor doesn't say that my cancer is cured or that my disease is God, even if I'm still come to the church and raising my voice and praising you. Even if my children are no longer attending church, I'm still going to do family worship with my husband and if my grandchildren or anyone else who wants to join me. Even if I still won't serve other gods. Because my God has been too good to me. Has he been too good to you? Even if. Even if I will not bow down. And the real question with this experience is this. Do you have conditional faith or unconditional faith? Do you only trust and believe in God if he fulfills all your conditions? You know, oh yeah, God, if you know, the situation's right, if you answer this prayer, if all things work out, then you're my God and I believe in you. Amen. We're going to do this, Jesus, on prophecy. Yay. But if, you know, you don't bring that godly boyfriend or wife or husband, if you, I don't get accepted to that school, or if, you know, my car breaks down, or I'm having health challenges, or I'm having relationship problems, or my job is laying me off, then, you know, I, I can't come to church anymore. I can't worship you anymore. I can't pay tithe and offering I can't invite people to Jesus on prophecy. I, I feel like this relationship thing is not working between me and you. That's a conditional faith. But Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego showed an unconditional faith. And today I want to challenge you to leave your conditional faith behind and have an even if faith, an unconditional faith, because God deserves an unconditional faith because he has shown unconditional love. Did you catch that? Our 
Our God deserves your unconditional faith, trust, and love, and obedience because he sent his son, Jesus Christ, to die. He poured out all heaven on the cross for you. He held nothing back, and you didn't do anything to deserve it. And so God deserves our unconditional faith because he's a God who loves us unconditionally. The Bible tells us that these three Hebrew boys, men now, were thrown into the fire. And the Bible tells us that Nebuchadnezzar, in verse 25, he said, Look, I see four men walking around in the fire, unbound, unharmed, and the fourth looks like the Son of God. And I'm here to tell King Nebuchadnezzar, it not only looks like the Son of God, it is the Son of God. And when you are going through your fiery furnace circumstances, when the world is crushing you and you demonstrate that unconditional faith, let me tell you, the situation might not change, but you will change. Because next to you will be the Son of God standing to get you through all that you're going through. And you will have peace and you'll be happy. The Bible tells us that everything was Everything that was on them was not touched or burned except their ropes that were binding them. And when you go through that faith experience, you'll find that habits and sins and things that were keeping you from God, they were bounding you spiritually. When you go through those faith experiences, those challenging faith experiences, and you come through with Jesus, those chains will be broken. Those chains will be broken. And the temptations and the habits and the struggles that you were going through before are just going to disappear. And the Bible tells us that Nebuchadnezzar then approached the opening and blazing furnace, shouting, Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego, servants of the Most High God, come out, come here. And they did, and they came out. And then King Nebuchadnezzar forgot all about his beautiful statue made out of gold. And he decreed in verse 29, therefore I decree that the people of any nation or language who say anything against the God of Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego be cut into pieces and their houses be turned into piles of rubble. For no other God can save this way. No other God can save this way. Do you believe it? And then he promoted Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego in the province of, of Babylon. You are being called to be promoted, not in man's kingdom, but in God's kingdom. God is looking for even if Christians. God is looking for unconditional faith Christians. And the only thing that will give you the power and strength to call on a God who saves you is his unconditional love. You need more of his unconditional love. You need to see more of the cross and what he did for you. And that will make all the challenges you're going through disappear and you will be willing to do anything for the man who gave everything up for you. A pastor was having some struggles in his church because there was a young lady who was playing the piano and she had a haircut that was very short. I mean, when you looked at her from the back, you didn't know if it was a boy or a girl. And so some of the church members came to the pastor, you know, the board came to the pastor and they said, pastor, you need to talk to her. She needs to grow her hair out. You know, they, they brought out the memory verses taken out of context about a woman's hair and this. 
And the pastor didn't really feel convicted about it. And he's like, no, no, it's, you know, the Bible doesn't say anything about that. But they kept insisting and insisting. And so he went to talk to her and, you know, he tried to do it as, as nice as he could. But it was awkward conversation. You know, the, the members don't feel comfortable. Some people don't feel comfortable. Would you please grow out your hair? And she was unmoved. No, I like this haircut. I'm not growing out my hair. So he went back to the board, and the board said, all right, we're going to take it to the next level. Let her know if she doesn't grow her hair out, then she's not allowed to play the piano anymore. So the pastor went back. Well, the board said that if you don't grow your hair out, you can't play the piano. She's like, they could have it. I don't care. Let them have it. I'm not growing my hair out. Pastor went back to the board. She still refuses to grow her hair out. And they said, well, tell her we're going to take away all her church officer positions if she doesn't grow her hair out. So there goes the pastor. Don't do this to me, by the way, okay? <laughs> and he says, you know, the church board said, if you don't grow out your hair, we're going to have to take all your church office positions away. She's like, they could have them. No problem. Good. Finally, by the grace of God, that pastor was transferred to another church. He's like, woof, I'm out of here. And three years later, he runs into that lady. He runs into that young lady at another meeting. And she comes up to him and says, Pastor, Pastor, so good to see you. And he didn't recognize her because he had, she had the most beautiful flowing hair, almost, you know, so long down here. And he looked at her and he's like, I thought you didn't like long hair. I thought you liked long, I thought you liked short hair. Remembering all the problems that, you know, he had to endure. And she said, yeah, I still don't like long hair. So why is your hair long? Because I met a guy. <laughs> and he told me that he likes my hair long. And so, what was the difference? Love motivates. Love conquers. Love makes you into a Christian of unconditional faith so that you could be like Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego and say, even if all these bad things are happening, I will not bow down to any idols. Is there anyone here who has experienced the love of God in their life who wants to declare in front of everyone here, I, by the grace of God, will have unconditional faith and trust no matter my life circumstances? Who wants to raise their hand and say, Jesus has revealed his love, and by his grace and by the motivation of his love, I will follow him unconditionally. I will not bow down to other idols. Let us pray. Dear Heavenly Father, we thank you so much for the opportunity to, to praise you, to worship you here at University Church. And I pray, Father, that we will not only hear the words from the Bible, but that we will be like the wise man who builds his house upon the rock, meaning that we will take these words and that we will apply them, we will live them out in our life. We know that this is a safe space but as people leave here, they go into a world of temptation and struggles. I pray, Father, that you will be by their side and that remind them they always have a church and people who love them and are praying for them. Bring us back safely next week. We pray in the name of Jesus Christ. Amen.